listen to these words from Psalm 103. It's the Lord who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Now, that might seem uh, familiar to some of you, um, even basic, like 101, noob Christianity, vanilla Christian, starter pack Christianity, God forgives, okay? But I think we can forget how easily and consistently we forget that, that God forgives. He does the redeeming, he absorbs the shaming, he does the changing, he does the honoring, he does the dignifying, he does it. We can forget that. I've begun digging into this book, it's called Honor, Shame, in the Gospel, and it's edited by Christopher Flanders and Werner Mischke. And they talk about something really important. And it's not that honor and shame should not exist. They don't talk about that. It's understanding where honor and shame are directed in the kingdom of God. We pile shame upon Christ and not others or ourselves. Our greatest honor, our greatest honor isn't defending our actions or our words. Our greatest honor is finding honor in Christ and honoring him. And so they talk about how this is done in a culture, in a community. Like They talk about how you can't understand this alone. Okay? And so we don't, in this time of confession, it's really important is that we don't just come to Christ with our shame. We actually come to Christ, yes, with our shame, but the indignations that we've had with other people, and we bring their shame to Christ and dump it on him. In the same way... We're not looking for our brothers and sisters to please act a little better so we can give you tidbits of honor. No, we're saying we're going to give you the honor of Jesus and you become dignified by that. So this is what it says in verse 10 of the same psalm. It says this, we want Christ to honor them because we don't want him to treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So in our time of confession here, we're going to pray. Bring your own sin and junk and shame, but bring who you're mad at and give it to Jesus as well. Let's pray. Our Father, um, you're the only place we can go with shame. We thought that we could only show up with praise. But we show up with shame. And we give it to the God, the only God who can handle it. Not just handle it, who wears it for us. So let us empty our hearts for our own and for our brothers and sisters around us and give our shame to Christ who has paid it all. Father, forgive us and we know, we've already know that you've promised to forgive us. 
forgive our brother and sister too. Have us be together at the cross, the same place, the same need. And remind us that we're honored by you. And allow us, Father, by your deep grace and mercy to honor those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we've received this kind of honor and forgiveness, it turns us into people that do the same thing. Steve Hong says it this way. He says, we become a community intentionally dignifying each other. That's really beautiful. Now, because this is true, this honor is true over your life because of Jesus, and it's true of your brother and sister around you, this is also from Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let's continue to worship. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus, uh, Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Exodus 2, 23-25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. All right, um, I have an Uncle Bob, and uh, he lives in Apple Valley, near outside of uh, Victorville, and uh, Bob built an eco-dome. You can show that, Bryant. And uh, he made it out of uh, basically the materials just around um, in the desert there in Apple Valley. Put it in bags, and then you cement the bags together. And uh, it's kind of incredible. Um, It's 100% off the grid. Solar, there's a propane tank that he has to get filled up every now and then. Uh, But it uses this ancient Iraq wind scoop um, by an architect who kind of resurrected ancient um, architectural techniques. And you'll see the the two things that look like chimneys on both sides. What it does is it takes air and it it sucks it in one way and it goes across the top of your dome so that um, it just takes the hot air off. And so I wouldn't say it was completely air-conditioned in the middle of the summer, but it was pleasant enough 
all without AC. So it's kind of amazing. Um, my Uncle Bob's a little strange. He's a little weird. Um, uh, he smokes things that are now legal in California, but they weren't a while ago. Um, he plays a lot of guitar, and he runs marathons uh, barefooted. So that's Bob. I mean, you can kind of get the Apple Valley vibe with Uncle Bob. Took him uh, way too long to build it. Um, but it's funny there in Apple Valley. So his, his, where he bought this property, it's all gridded out for, with streets, ready for neighbors to move in. Just, it's ready. It's all ready. Um, you can find 2.6 acres next to my Uncle Bob for less than $20,000, all right? This was just this last week. Um, it was named, uh, it's on Chicago Road, right? Kind of spice it up a little bit, Chicago Road. Um, I don't know if you can see, but that's the plot. The red, the, 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 the circle that I had is like, that's the 2.5 acres. So talk to me afterwards if you're interested. I will introduce you to Bob. Um, people, uh, we visited, I visited Uncle Bob with my kids, um, walked all over the Eco Dome, it was fun, and uh, I'm sure you have visited Joshua Tree or you visited the desert, but, uh, it, and you may have stayed a while, but something has gone wrong if you stay too long in the desert. Something's gone wrong. Maybe a few things have gone wrong with my Uncle Bob. That's the thing, though. The deliverance of God, the part where he promises, promises to rescue and deliver you from something, goes through a desert. I'm going to disappoint you. There is not another plan. There's not a shortcut. There's not another route. There's not a pro hack you can find on a YouTube video to like circumvent and avoid the desert. But let's recognize how tough it is. You prayed and you trusted that God would do something beautiful with your life. Something that killed your demons, something that fixed the problems, something that gave deep satisfaction. And then we are asking these questions. How did I end up in the desert? Because I totally imagined a resort. And I'm at Uncle Bob's. Why does it seem, why does it seem that God's rescue and his renewal over your heart and your mind and your soul and all of your life, it doesn't feel pleasant? Um, we're going to march through Exodus, and we're not going to go verse by verse and so I'm going to give you a recap of chapters one and two because we read representative sections of it. After Joseph 
And I'm going to assume a little bit of knowledge here, biblical knowledge, is after Joseph, he's the one that found favor with a pharaoh. After Joseph dies, or after um, his brothers find out Joseph is okay, his brothers immigrate part and parcel to Egypt. And the immigrating brothers thrive and their crew expands. And then something happens. The government changes. Like they were immigrant friendly people to the Hebrews and Joseph's crew and then the government changes and then the immigrants are not respected anymore in Egypt. And so it's gradual. You see these tough contracts given to the Hebrews. And the text tells us is in these tough contracts, they built store cities, huge resources, Pithom and Ramses. But, but eventually, everything gets tougher. Like, like the pogroms are gradual. There's a ramp of them. It feels like a frog in hot wa- boiling hot water. It's just gradual. They get worse and worse. And at first... Pharaoh, the new government, the new Pharaoh, goes to the midwives and he says, look, um, when you go for a Hebrew birth, like throw out, literally throw out the male children, but let the female children live. The midwives don't do it, and God blesses them for it. But then he changes his angle. Okay, I'm not going to do this in secret. I'm going to make it official national rule and law. All Hebrew male children, I'm going to kill. Um, you probably saw the movie. Um, we meet Moshe, Mo- Moses, right? And his mom kept him alive. He hit him, or she, she hit him in the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, um, sees the baby in this, in this like little um, crib. Some, I, we don't know if it's floating. I know we saw it in Sunday school, but... Something made out of reeds, camouflaged. And uh, his auntie's there, and she goes, oh my goodness, it's one of those Hebrews' children. And, she, and the auntie, Moses' aunt, says, oh my goodness, do you want me to find you a wet nurse? Yes, I'll find you one, great. After he's a toddler, Pharaoh's daughter takes him to the palace, the royal uh, place. And um, it's funny, as Moses grows up knowing his background, he knows that he's a Hebrew, um, he knows the story. He doesn't know his mom, it doesn't seem like. Um, and he sees this injustice as he's older. He kills an Egyptian. Uh, word gets around. He's scared. He flees to Midian. I'm recapping a lot here, really quickly. The movie was way longer. Uh, and he marries this woman in Midian named Zipporah. And they have their first kid, Gershom. And Gershom means this. I have, been in a, I have been a sojourner, but I am not yet home. I, I've been in a place that is not my home, Moses is saying, but I'm not home. I'm not home. And Moses has felt this, right? He's felt this his life. He's, he's been in a palace, but he's not home. Like he felt it with his own countrymen. He's like, but they hate me too. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm home there. I'm in Midian, but I know I'm not home there. 
we're both not home. This is what he places over his son's name. We're both aliens. We both don't fit. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Don't you feel that a little bit? You and I, like, like we've tried to find a home in properties and businesses. We've tried to find a home in collecting stuff, amusements, distractions, positions, achievements, projects. You, you know what? I talk to you. You talk to me. Isn't that a great description of middle age for a lot of you? We've tried to find a home in a lot of things, and I haven't found it yet. And that sets the stage for Exodus and the desert is because we are going to find a true home. We're going to find a true home. And it's true for his people that we get in Exodus and it becomes this picture that will persist in every single Christ follower, God follower, their entire life. That's the journey. That's the promise of Exodus is I am going to find my truest home. And it goes through a desert. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, how did I end up in the des desert when I, clearly the promise was my truest home? Why is it that God's rescue and renewal does not feel pleasant? And the story of God in and over your life goes through a desert. There's no other way. It's just hard. It's hard for us to conceive that the desert of God is part of the saving, part of the renewal, part of the de de deliverance. It's just hard for us to... It, listen, if you grew up, and we, we see this in the American church, and Melissa and I have friends in the global church, and they talk about the American church quite a bit. And if you grew up in the American church or if you went to some sort of American evangelical youth group, or you went to some sort of college campus evangelical ministry, if, you, if you've been any in the sphere of American Christianity, you grew up with a spirituality that was actually very sensational. Because what were you taught, and no one said it out loud, you felt the closest to God. Felt. You felt the most spiritual when you were having feelings of pleasantness. Right? And, and it can actually take you a while to get there. All right, I'm going to read my Bible a little bit. I'm going to try to get away. I, 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 you know, it takes me a good 30 minutes in worship. And then that Hillsong song, it just like hits and you're like, ah, oh, I feel close. I feel close. I feel spiritual. 
And what it can do is you can go to a place of worship and you can extract one thing. I am only there to get some sort of spiritual tingle. And when I feel the tingle, I know that I'm having a spiritual closeness with my heavenly father. And so subtly, we can approach religion and say, did it make me feel better and was it pleasant? And I'm just telling you, outside of America, they're like, that's some crazy Christianity you got rolling over there. Because if anything painful comes along in your life or my life, do you know what we say? This can't be spiritual. It cannot be God working. It's not. I deny it. It is not spirituality. That's what our heart is just pumping out. This is not the spiritual plan. And this is what we repeat, even when we don't know it. We repeat one of the most common phrases throughout all of Exodus. You brought me out here into this desert to kill me. That's what I think you're gonna do. But let me just tell you something. In the desert, you will find God himself. Most and I were, um, this last summer, we had one of those conversations late at night over the kitchen table with a woman. And uh, she had had breast cancer. And so um, she went through the chemotherapy, double mastectomy, um, in recovery, jump scare again, in remission. And we're talking to her about this. And... um, she, she said, something that you can only say if you've been in the desert and found God. She said, I don't miss the cancer. But I miss the presence of God. I miss the intensity of knowing he is there with me. And you can only say that if you've been in the desert. But Jesus has a story that also goes through the desert. The last two verses of Exodus chapter two, God heard their groaning, the trial, the trouble, the brokenness. And it says, God remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew, huh? Didn't that seem like a, what, 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 wait, was that a, that's a run-on sentence. Like, no, what? Isn't that a puzzler? 
You've probably seen the anglicized word. If, if <laughs> There's a portion of my history where I grew up the King James Version. It's very poetic and beautiful. I don't think it's a horrible translation. It's a little awkward. But um, uh, uh, the phrase that, again, my brothers and I locked onto reading the KJV was, um, uh, he knew her in the biblical sense, like Harry knew Sally. Right, that's, that's, that's the word God knew Wait, what? And this interesting about the KJV, I always thought they were trying to be super um, like discreet to cover up a lot of the big adult ideas. But it's actually trying to convey something else. It is like love. It is like intimacy. It is something like knowing, but it's more than knowledge. And it's something more than a feeling of physicality because Hebrew has different words for that. It's like an intimate connectedness. It's like a joining that is intractable, inseparable, but it's compassionate and it's caring. Like, like I am together with you and our togetherness cannot be undone. I am with you, but I'm with you in love and compassion, whereas Egypt was with you with ruthlessness and hard bitterness. But I am with you in compassion, and I have pulled you away from Egypt, but you, I knew. God knew. I am joined with you now. Now, why that is important is because years later, it's hard to miss. The Hebrews were enslaved 400 years. They were wandering around the desert for 40, uh, or 400 years, enslaved 40 years, wandering around the desert. And you're going to remember something, and we hit this in Matthew 4, is God went into the desert, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. So the numerology is just not lost on anybody. And what, is, what happens in the desert? Satan offers Jesus some bread. And he offers them some protection so bad things won't happen to him. And then he offers him all the glory you can eat. And it seems like, uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like really tempting things. Nice try, buddy. But what is Satan saying? In essence, this is what he's saying and everything is, guess what? You can have a crown without the cross. You can have the praise without any of the problems. You can have the dessert without the desert. You can have it. Yeah, yeah, I spent all week on that. <laughs> but the ones he knew would not be able to get through their desert if he did not go to the cross. It would end them. The desert would end them. It would be the death of them. And so what, what did he do? He absorbed the bitterness and the ruthlessness. And he does the desert better than you can or I can. <laughs> How great is that? He does the desert better than you do. So the desert won't end you. It only leads to life.
a truer home, a rest, a promise. And yeah, his people would spend some time in the desert. Let's believe that. Oh, but they would find him. And they would find life. Would you pray with me? Father, I have said some pretty horrible things about your desert. (laughs) I have not wanted to be in your desert. But I submit now to all of your deserts. Just give me you and give yourself to my friends. In Jesus' name, amen.